You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And guys, we're to the point now where we can count down the time to the draft in hours. We are uh, within 48 hours now. Um, and I know this is, as always, a very, very busy time for you guys. And of course, this year with everything going on uh, in, in a lot of ways, an even crazier time than usual. Uh, so the draft is Wednesday and Thursday, 7 o'clock p.m. start time. On Wednesday, uh, will be broadcast on MLB Network, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and uh, will also be streamed live on MLB.com. It'll be the first 37 picks. And then day two will be the remaining 123 picks uh, through the completion of round five. That will be broadcast on MLB Network as well on ESPN2 and will be streamed on MLB.com. Guys, uh, you know, before we get into the draft itself, let's talk about a little bit about the broadcast because it is certainly going to be uh, unusual for everyone involved, I think. Well, I think on the positive side, Jason, uh, one thing that, that jumps out to me is that there will be more player involvement this year just because for a number of reasons. I mean, the, the, the saddest of which is there are no games going on in the college or high school levels right now, so people won't be tied up with NCAA playoffs or state playoffs. But there's there's nearly two dozen players who will have cameras in their homes, and I think there'll be a lot more interaction with players than there is in a typical draft, which you know usually has maybe four to six players on site in the studio and maybe a couple of the other top picks, but that's about it. So I, I think it will be more player-heavy this year and I think that'll be a positive. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely just uh, an unusual circumstance. I mean, like right now, my home office looks like a like a TV studio warehouse. Um, and Jim's got the same setup. We've got cameras. We've got lights. We're going to be ready to go from where we are, just in separate locations. So that, that adds a, a different element uh, to it. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's going to be the same thing, which is, you know, I think in a lot of ways, our job, and this broadcast is to introduce people to these players uh, who, you know, maybe they haven't been paying that much attention to amateur baseball prior, uh, you know, prior to, to now. Um, and obviously there's been no baseball of any sort. So uh, I'm curious to find out if there's just going to be more people watching than in general, because it's the only kind of ticket in town. You know, and another positive, Jonathan, we only have to, to, to suit up where we're, uh, from the from the waist up, so we can wear basketball shorts and go barefoot if we want uh, this I, year. I plan on that. I, I will be too. So, so the, the, I got to look for the silver linings here, Jason. I I didn't know that was your uh, preferred uh, wardrobe. Well, we could go bathrobe like some of the NFL picks did. I think that would be good if Jonathan and I just came out in our bathrobes Wednesday night. Uh, I think that would be a good look. We could do like a whole Ferris Bueller thing at the end and come out from behind a door like you're still here. So, uh, in addition to the uh, the draft itself, there are preview shows 
that I did not mention each day. Um, I believe day one gets underway a couple hours before the start at seven o'clock. That'll be on MLB Network. Um, and then day two, uh, there's a preview show uh, ahead of the 5 p.m. start as well. So you can tune in to, to those on uh, MLB Network. So you guys are uh, doing this remotely. Um, you're part of a team that includes Greg Amsinger, Al Leiter, Dan O'Dowd, Harold Reynolds, Matt Baskurgeon, uh, Baseball America's Carlos Colazzo, and uh, what I think is an interesting addition for this year, um, which is, uh, you know, possible because of uh, the fact that no baseball is being played, is Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin. Um, what do you guys think about uh, that addition to the uh, to the broadcast crew? Are you are you excited to to have him be a part of this? I, I am. I thought it was I thought it was great. You know, last year when we had Coach Casey on. Uh, from from Oregon State, uh, just from to bring in a different perspective, uh, and Coach Corbin's been doing this for a long time. Uh, he's been uh, producing uh, draft talent and then eventual big league talent for a long time, so he, he sort of gets it. And I think the combination of you know players at his program, players he's seen either in the SEC or out. Or even parts of you know guys he's recruited, he's going to bring I think a, a lot of insight to to the table on draft night. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, look, I mean, you know, he he, you know, I think if you're talking about the best programs in the country, you're talking about probably Vanderbilt in Florida. Um, you know, Tim, very accomplished guy. You know, he's also for a guy who hasn't done a lot of TV. Not that I'm you know Mr. Season TV veteran. He's very good at conveying a lot of information without using a lot of words. He can give you a lot of information in a concise package. And I think one of the things um, that he brings, you know, Pat Casey was great last year, but the, but the one thing that Pat didn't, wasn't doing, I mean, Pat was not an active coach last year. He had, he was done. He'd been out of the business for a year. And one of the things that Pat did that was really nice is Pat, I think broke down five or six players and he's talked at length with their coaches. Tim's actually seen these guys on the field this year. He's recruiting some of these high school guys now. So I, I think he's even a little bit more plugged in than, than Pat was last year. I, I think he's going to be a nice addition. You know, obviously, you know, with Austin Martin, he's going to have a guy who's going to go at the very top of the draft, but he also has a lot of high profile recruits and, and there's going to be a heavy SEC flavor and he's played against all those SEC guys. So he has a lot of really good perspectives. We had a meeting, what was it, two and a half hours today, Jonathan, this morning with MLB Network, where we kind of went over a bunch of the players and I thought he brought up a lot of really good points. So I, I think he'll be a, he'll be a really nice addition to that. Yeah, it was two and a half hours, but it only felt like five hours. So it was good. <laughs> You mentioned the uh, the addition of, of so many players uh, being able to be involved this year, and even though they're not going to be there in person, uh, they'll be joining remotely. Uh, quickly, uh, a look at those players, and it's it's 12 of the top 13 players on our top 200, I believe. Um, Spencer Torkelson, Austin Martin, Asa Lacey, numbers one, two, and three. Nick Gonzalez, Garrett Mitchell, Zach Veen, Reed Detmers, Max Meyer, uh, Heston Kirstad, Mick Abel, Jared Kelly, Austin Hendrick, Ed Howard, Robert Hassel III, Patrick Bailey, Tyler Soderstrom, Pete Crow Armstrong, Carmen Ladinsky, Cade Cavalli, Austin Wells, Tanner Burns, um, all in the top 30 of our of our top 200 prospects list. So, um, you know, really the best of the best. And I think it'll be, uh, like you said, uh, you know, 
considering the circumstances, uh, this is definitely a, a silver lining where a lot of people, a lot of fans are going to get to to see these players firsthand, whereas uh, in the past that hasn't always been the case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's if there's something, one of the few silver linings about this whole you know, everything that's happened with the coronavirus, I think, is there's a bigger spotlight being shown on the draft. I mean, this isn't the way we want it to happen. We wanted it to, you know, be in Omaha as part of the College World Series, which was the original plan. But I think MLB Network and, and MLB are, are doing a very nice job of, of kind of adjusting on the fly and, and trying to make the broadcast as, as fun and exciting as it can be. So let's, uh, let's get into the draft itself a little bit. Uh, you guys are working on the final mock draft, which uh, the way we typically do that is Jim and Jonathan, you guys both do uh, your own picks. Uh, so this will be the first time that you're doing, you're each doing it uh, at the same time. We've alternated uh, up to this point, but we'll put that up uh, the night, late the night leading into day one of the draft. Um, I know that there hasn't been a ton of movement, which, uh, was kind of expected. I think that's what you guys expected for the most part um, once you got into doing the dra- the mock drafts a while back. Uh, has that still been the case? Are you starting to see a little more movement, hearing a, a little more, getting some more concrete ideas of what's going to happen? Uh, no, <laughs> not so far. I think, you know, as we record this on Monday afternoon, it's actually been kind of quiet. Um, and, you know, thinking back to the last couple of years, uh, especially since that like nighttime drafts, sometimes even the night before it, it stays quiet. And then that's why we started doing that names only one at the end, which we'll tweet out uh, because sometimes that's when the movement happens. But uh, Jim and I were talking before we started recording, like I just did a mock last week. I could take that list and put it in the same order and feel comfortable with it as much as anything I might change to, I don't know that there's gonna be that much definitive information that I'll feel really comfortable about changing things. Now there might be here and there, you know, if uh, the Orioles decide uh, not to, you know, not to do, uh, not to go with Austin Martin in number two, or, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, I'd run up to 12. If I find out that the Reds have decided they're not going to take Pete Crow Armstrong, maybe I, you know, switch things around, but, um, I don't know that there's going to be that much like real sort of meaty information to, to hang on to. Yeah. I was going to say, we were talking Jason before I came on, before we came on. And if you go back, I was looking at my, my May 13th mocks. That's nearly a full month ago. And outside of like, I, I don't think Emerson Hancock's going to go four to Kansas city, but my other, if I looked at my top 18 projections, I'm not saying that would be my number one projection today, but they all would be valid projections that, could happen even a month later. Um, and, I, and I still feel like, not that we'd go nine for nine, but like if I know the picks that happen, like if you tell me who the first three picks are, I can pretty much give you scenarios at four. If you tell me who the first six picks are, I know what the scenarios would theoretically be at seven. I, I still feel like the first nine picks, like I have a you know pretty decent idea of what's going on. And then I just, I, I, the Angels are, are, are very tough to figure out. Nothing's coming out of the Angels, really. Uh, they're kind of on a lockdown, so it's been tough trying to get information from there. And, and then you're, you know, you're trying to make educated guesses in the teens and throw some darts in the 20s, I think. Yeah, I think, I think we may have discussed this on a previous podcast, but I think it's interesting to look back 
you know, you're looking back a month. I just looked back at the mock from December. Um, and while there are some differences in the order, uh, for the most part, the names there in the top 10 uh, are, are pretty much the same names that we're looking at now. Yeah, I was looking at that earlier today, too. Like, I think, did I have Martin going number one? I think I had Martin going one, Torkelson two, and that'll probably flip. Um, Hancock going third. He's probably going to go more around six. But then Nick Gonzalez four, you know, that could happen. Asa Lacey five. I mean, I bet he goes three, but that could happen. Um, you know, we had Reed Detmers at nine to the Rockies. You know, that could, that could happen. I mean, Crochet, Kelly, Mitchell, Majinski, we'll see on those. But, again, I, I think that just speaks to the fact that we got, you know, basically a four-week college season and very little of a high school season. And while teams have spent a lot of time doing Zoom calls and scouting video and having more probably internal discussions than ever before because they had the time to do it, there just isn't a lot to radically change your impressions of guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think that's probably why things have been more static uh, than usual. And uh, they probably even had more time to figure out sort of s- certain signability questions, which could alter things and still could. But, you know, uh, there, there's been a lot of time. You know, the scouts aren't running around to see players. So they can have a little more certainty about, well, if I take you at spot X, Will you sign for this amount? Um, maybe some of those questions have already been answered. Uh, we'll see. I'll, it'll be interesting to see as we get closer to filing this this last one on Tuesday night, to, if uh, any more information comes to light. Well, probably the biggest change from the December mock to all the subsequent ones that started in April, uh, Jim, is that you, you did have Austin Martin first, um, and that's, I would guess, probably about the last time that that uh, that was the prevailing notion that that he might go first. And since then, uh, it has been Torkelson, and I think it's it's become more and more clear since that time that he is uh, the front runner to go number one. And I know we've we've talked about this, and we talked about doing a, a story on it, and and didn't get around to actually doing the story. But you know, I thought it was interesting that he went from not being drafted out of high school and not even necessarily, you know, there are a lot of times when guys won't get drafted because they're simply unsignable and they, you know, they were considered top draft prospects, but uh, they weren't going to get signed. And I think there was an element of that from, from what I've heard from you guys, but you know, the leap that Torkelson took from his senior year of high school, from going to basically unwanted to, uh, becoming likely the number one overall draft pick. Uh, such an immense jump. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, listen, it happens every once in a while. Uh, some of it had to do, and I went back and talked to some scouts just to, you know, to, to make sure, because I, I do California. I think we've touched on this before. And I, like his name never even came up. And, you know, he was really sold on going to Arizona State. Um, and so which happens sometimes those guys with, you know, really strong college commitments get drafted in like the 30th round. But it sounds like because he knew he wanted to go, he wasn't, you know, doing anything extra to talk to scouts, to, you know, foster those relationships. There wasn't a whole lot of communication back and forth. So he wasn't seen all that much. And when the area scouts in Northern California aren't 
turning a guy in with like high grades and the cross checkers aren't necessarily going to come in. And he's also done a lot to sort of transform who he is. It seems he kind of seemed like a, a fringy to maybe an average player at best who definitely would only play first base. He was a little, a little stiff. Maybe he'd gotten a little too muscle bound his senior year. So there was some question like, would he even be okay at first base? And uh, he's answered those questions and more since he, since he got to ASU. But I think the combination of the commitment to go to school and the fact that he just, you know, there were, there were questions and holes in his game from area scouts in, in Northern California uh, led to him not, not being drafted at all. Yeah, his story is somewhat similar to what we were talking about with Andrew Vaughn last year. You know, similar profile, Northern California high school kid, you know, bat-only type of guy coming out of high school, going to a Pac-12 school, and, and Vaughn went up going, wound up going number three overall last year. And I, I just think the two types of players who are the high, hardest to sign out of high school, you know, in general, are your bat-only, less athletic guys who don't play premium positions because in general, unless the guy's just going to sign relatively cheaply, scouts are content to let those guys prove that the bat's going to play at the college level before they're going to pay him big money. And the other group would be your projectable high school pitchers where there's a gap in a lot of cases between how much the, the pitcher's present stuff is worth as a senior in high school when he's not at a, you know, not physically mature. And then what it could be three years down the road, but yeah, it's, it, it seems crazy, but I mean, we should, I mean, this is going to be the second year in a row that we've had a top three pick go undrafted, and it wasn't the oh he was unsignable, so nobody took him. That there just wasn't a lot of interest in either Andrew Vaughn or Spencer Torkelson coming out of high school. All right, guys, um, <clears throat> we want to talk about uh, some more of the the top prospects in this year's class, and. Uh, you guys did some, uh, we did some research and, and you guys did some comparisons of um, some of this year's top guys and looking back at how they compare to some previous top draft prospects. And we, instead of just uh, doing it sort of off the top of your heads or um, trying to talk to people about who these players remind you of, remind them of, uh, we actually looked back at our our tool grades and uh, with the help of Tom Tango, we came up with lists for each of the top 10 prospects this year. We came up with a list of players who have the most similar tools uh, strictly by comparing each tool across the board, uh, hit power, run arm field and overall grades for the hitters, fastball, curveball, uh, slider, changeup control and overall grades for the pitchers. Um, and I know this is, this is kind of a, a touchy area with you guys. You're, you don't love doing comps, uh, but this was a little bit different. I thought and that we weren't just, uh, doing straight comps as much as we were looking at the, uh, the specific tool grades and, and how they compared, uh, anything in, in particular jump out to you guys when you, when you did this? Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's not the most scientific way to do it, but it was interesting because, you know, the, we would generate lists of comparables based on the tools. And I didn't love like all of the comps, but I thought in general uh, that you found you know, there was a pretty interesting comp on each guy, at, at least, you know, when we were writing them up. And we, for Torkelson, it, it was Andrew Vaughn, you know, who, who we just talked about. But like, I, you know, Austin Martin's my guy, the way we split up geographically at number two. 
And to me, of, of the players who came up, Ian Happ made a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking about guy who, you know, two guys who were, you know, arguably the, you know, as good a pure hitter as anybody in their college draft class. They had a, a big track record of success, both in college and in summer ball against better competition. Um, it, they were hit over power, but the power was deceptive. You know, you'd probably could get to at least average power. Hap's kind of changed who he is as a hitter in pro ball. Solid runners. And even a question about, you know, what the defensive home in these guys was going to be. I, I think Hap had a better arm. Martin had better infield actions. But um, it was interesting to me. Like, that was one example. Like, you know, when, when we were looking at these players, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities between those guys. So it was interesting to me. You know, not like I said, I didn't necessarily agree with every comp, but like you could usually find a pretty interesting one for each of these guys that made a lot of sense. I thought Ian Happ also ended up being the uh, the the tool twin that I used for Nick Gonzalez, uh, which because I don't and which is funny because I don't think I would have thought to compare Nick Gonzalez to Austin Martin, but offensive profile wise, it was so much. So yeah, I mean, I think it's like any of these things we do; it's not perfect, um, but. I thought it was interesting to sort of see where guys uh, matched up in terms of their grades as draft prospects, even if, uh, you know, even if some of them ended up outstripping it or didn't live up to it or things uh, of that nature. I really liked, you know, for Zach Veen that I ended up with Kyle Tucker uh, because we've heard the Yelich and the Bellinger comps, but area I've had area scouts, dropped the Kyle Tucker comp and they were very, very similar as Florida high school outfielders, you know, in their respective draft years. Yeah. So the, the next player on the list uh, after Torkelson and Martin at one and two was our first pitcher on the list, Asa Lacey. And uh, the two, two guys, uh, two left-handers with the most similar tools uh, from recent draft classes Matthew Levertor and Mackenzie Gore, uh, both of whom were the fourth ranked prospect on our top 200 list and Lacey uh, number three this year. Um, Gore had uh, the slightly better fastball grade of the three, 65 uh, to Asa Lacey's 60 and Levertor's 55. Levertor was actually 55s across the board, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, control, and overall. Um, interestingly, Lacey with the 60 overall grade this year, um, a half grade above even Mackenzie Gore. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on the comp between, uh, Lacey, Levator and Gore? Yeah, I, I thought that one worked. You know, Lacey was one of my guys, uh, you can't compare anybody to Mackenzie Gore guys, you know, that in, in my mind, but, uh, but if you could, if you want to take a, a guy with a four-pitch repertoire of plus stuff, um, you know I, I think both Lacey and Gore, um, when Gore was coming out of the draft, you know all four of their pitches could, could be at least plus at times. You know the interesting thing to me is you know even though Lacey's at Texas A&M and Libertor and Gore were in high school at the time, I actually think both Libertor and Gore were extremely advanced for high school pitchers, and they were more polished than Lacey is today even though he, he was three years ahead of him in terms of college experience but uh you know again i mean yeah i think the gore comp works a little bit better than libertor because i think gore's stuff was kind of like a, a just a level above libertors but i mean you're talking four pitch 
four pitch lefties who, you know, we had ranked right up at the top of the draft. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up and Jason, I don't know if you were going to sort of jump to this next. So, so I'll do, we have, you know, quote unquote identical twins at the bottom of that story, guys who matched up perfectly tools wise. Ian Happ, by the way, made another appearance on that. So he, he's like a three peat on this, on this story with Robert Hassel. Um, but in talking about the, the lefties, the same thing happened with Chris McMahon and Mike Soroka. Um, McMahon, you know, out of, out of Miami this year, Mike Soroka was a Canadian high schooler who had a reputation of being much more advanced as a pitcher than many high schools, especially a high schooler from a cold weather area. Uh, now, what ended up happening is that Soroka kind of outdeveloped our draft grades. And, you know, by the time he was at the top end of him being a minor league prospects, his, his grades, especially on the secondary stuff, it all, it all ticked upwards as well, as well as his command. So, you know, while they were identical twins coming out of the draft, if you were to sort of put them both together and say, well, which one is going to outstrip these grades, you would probably pick Soroka, just like you would probably pick Libertor, uh, you know, potentially, or, or even Mackenzie Gore uh, on hallowed ground as a guy who might outstrip what they already were coming out of high school. Yeah, some of the uh, other players who have the exact same tool grades as as uh, some previous top draft prospects. Uh, you mentioned Robert Hassel, the same exact tool grades as Ian Happ. Uh, Cade Cavalli, um, right-hander out of Oklahoma, who's number 22 on the list, has the exact same tool grades that Corbin Martin had uh, when he was taken in the second round by the Astros in 2017. Um, Jonathan, you just mentioned McMahon and Soroka, uh, Justin Foscu and Will Wilson, uh, Wilson, the angels, number 15 overall pick last year. Foscu, uh, is number 32 on our list, second baseman out of Mississippi state. And the last pair of identical twins, Blaze Jordan, uh, first baseman out of DeSoto central high school in Mississippi who is uh, number 42 on our list, and Reese Hines, who was a second-round pick by the Reds last year. And um, what's the outlook for, for Blaze Jordan right now, guys? I know this is a guy who it seemed like kind of jumped onto the scene early on. It seemed like there was a lot of hype, um, and it seemed to have sort of tapered off over the course of – time since uh, the point when he reclassified to become eligible um, uh, until we've got to this point now. Where, where do you see him going uh, over the next couple of days? I, I think he's going to be somebody's second pick. You know, what? another thing that's interesting is with Reese Hines, he was also number 42 on last year's list as well. So those guys are, I don't know if that makes them identical twins as opposed to fraternal t- tools twins. I don't know. But, um, you know, Jordan's interesting because I think he's, he's a good prospect. But his, he, he's more famous and good, and I don't mean that as a knock on him, but just because he's been winning home run derby since he was 11, he's been hitting 500-foot home runs when he was 13 in, in these derbies. You know, he won the high school home run derby last year at the All-Star Game. He reclassified. But the, the thing was, when he reclassified and, and he really got immersed in the showcase circuit last summer, there was some swing and miss. He looked a little overmatched at times. Um you know, there, there, there's no, he might have more raw power than anybody in the draft, including Torkelson, including Austin Hendrick. 
but I don't think he has more usable power than those guys. And, and it's just how much will he be able to tap in that power? How much will he be able to hit? The, the track record of Mississippi high school position players in the draft is terrible. Um, so that factors in too. So, you know, he comes with questions, but he, he can really crush the ball. Um, you know, I think there's some question. He's, he's gotten in better shape. He's moving better. I still think the majority of teams believe he winds up at first base. I'm sure whoever try, drafts him will probably break him into pro ball at third base. But I, I think he's a guy, like, he's, he's probably as famous as just about any high school player in this draft. But I think for most teams, you'd be more comfortable taking him with your second pick than taking him in the first round. So I, I, I think he goes high-end supplemental first round and then, you know, low-end you know, somewhere in the upper part of the second round. Yeah, I think that that sounds about right to me. I, and it actually, you know, in those tool uh, twins, uh, Reese Hines actually makes uh, a lot of sense uh, because of the power and the swing and miss. And I think Hines might move a little better or did move a little better, although there were still questions about where he could actually play. So I, I really like that one a lot. But I, I think that probably makes the most sense because – you know, as famous as Blaze Jordan is, with like again unbelievable raw power, you know, I don't know that he's been seen doing it enough in game competition to feel comfortable with like going nuts. But that is a lot of raw power to tap into, and if you're a team that likes that tool, um, then I think maybe you take a chance, especially if you have an extra pick. You know, Jim, when you were when you were talking about Jordan and talking about the fact that you think he's more famous than he is good and winning these home run derbies and biggest draw power in the draft class, it made me think about uh, that. That brought Jake Jacob Gatewood to mind when you were uh, when you were talking about him. Um, was he uh, was was he a, a similar sort of profile in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, it's. You know, again, it's a guy. I mean, I think Gatewood was was more athletic than either of those two guys. And even though you knew he wasn't going to play shortstop, you felt like he might have a better chance to stay at third. Although he's kind of bounced between first and third the last couple of years with the, with Milwaukee. But yeah, I mean, again, it's a guy with with huge raw power. But you know, there's a lot of swing and miss. And you know, I mean, this is common sense. But like, if you don't make contact, you aren't going to tap into all your raw power. And, you know, he kind of came with the same questions and, and Gatewood, you know, wound up being the Brewers second pick. He was a supplemental first rounder in 2014. I, I just think for, for a lot of teams, you're more comfortable, you know, taking that guy as your second choice. You know, I mentioned Austin Hendrick and I think Austin Hendrick comes with a little bit of swing and miss, but not to the, you know, Austin Hendrick's going to go in the first round because teams feel good that he's going to get to most of his power. And, you know, like I said, blaze is very intriguing. Um, yeah, I just don't think – I don't think anybody's going to take him in the first round. And, and I mean, Jonathan can probably test this too. Since we started ranking these guys last winter and doing mock drafts, we still get tweets, why isn't Blaze Jordan higher? Because people know who Blaze Jordan is. And he's good, but he's just I, – I just don't think he's quite first round good. All right. Um, we are going to uh, wrap up this podcast with uh, an interview that Jim did with Zach Green. But before that, guys, I, I – did put on our uh, agenda for the podcast today. I slipped it in there. I don't know if you saw it, but a pop quiz. I did not even look at the agenda, so I I have not done my homework. You're getting. I'm I'm taking this cold. All right. Well, I will be 
I haven't scanned through all these questions. Um, yeah, okay. I, th I think without the options, you could uh, potentially struggle with some of these, but I would be highly surprised if with the options you didn't get uh, most or all of these. Uh, I'm going straight from a quiz that is currently on the site. We've had a lot of draft quizzes lately. Now, if you guys have seen this and, and taken it already, this is going to completely blow my pop quiz. Uh, who was drafted directly before these stars? The first one's a gimme. So are we buzzing in? How, how are we doing? Are we are we buzzing in or? or... Is Mike Trout? Well, that would be Randall Grychuk. You can you can buzz in. You can well, buzz I didn't in. know I had to say buzz. You didn't buzz in. You just said do we do we buzz in, and then you just answered the question. This is a sham already. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. We both knew that one because they famously took Grychuk ahead of him because Trout had huge bonus demands to to knock him down a little bit in slot value. So. I will buzz in the future, but how will how will Jason know who's making what buzzing sound? <laughs> you, need, you need unique buzzes that we need to predetermine here. I will I will ding and I will buzz. Buzz and ding. I don't think I'm going to know any of these. That may be the only one I know. Jonathan's playing under protest anyway. Uh, who was selected with the pick directly before Derek Jeter, sixth overall in 1992? Uh. I know who I know who hold on, I'm thinking it through. I'm trying to think who had the fifth pick that year. Oh Buzz, Buzz. I know who it is. It was Chad Matola. Chad Matola, I think, was the fifth pick. The uh the options here are Chad Matola, Jeffrey Hammonds, Paul Shuey, and Phil Nevin, and Jim, you are correct. Cincinnati used the fifth pick on Matola, who played fifty nine big games over parts of five seasons. Who was selected with the pick directly before Barry Bonds, sixth overall in nineteen eighty five? Jim. Buzz. You want me to, okay, well, I wanted to be called on there. Uh, it's it's Kurt Brown, isn't it? The options here are Barry Larkin, Kurt Brown, Will Clark, B.J. Serhoff, and it was indeed Kurt Brown. Uh, Brown's the, the, the first and rare bad pick in the loaded 1985 draft. All those other guys did go before Bonds. At least I knew that. Uh, Brown spent seven seasons in the White Sox organization without ever playing in who was selected with the pick directly before Justin Verlander? Buzz. Second overall in 2004. <laughs> that was close. I had. But I, I heard the buzz, buzz before the it was Matt. It was Matt Bush. It was Matt Bush. Oh. Rigged. You're in the judge's back pocket, Callis. We, we can play back the audio there and verify that. Who was selected with the pick directly before Clayton Kershaw? Seventh overall in 2006. Buzz. Buzz. Jim? Buzz. Yeah, Andrew Miller. Because the Tigers were going to take Kershaw. Um, <laughs> the Tigers were going to take. I'm going to leave the room for a while and just let Jim answer the rest. Andrew, I mean, take Clayton Kershaw with that pick. They were locked in on him at six. And then Andrew Miller unexpectedly fell. He was kind of consensus top prospect. So they took him at six, and the Dodgers got Kershaw at seven. This is, uh, this is why we're doing this, so we can get these backstories from Jim. Here's one you might not get. Who was selected with the pick directly before Albert Pujols, 402nd right. overall in 1999? Here are your options. <laughs> Is it anybody significant? Justin Leone, Frank Brooks, Jason Jones, Alfredo Amazaga. Ding. Jonathan. I'm going to say, without having looked at baseball reference at all, Alfredo Amazaga. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is correct. Hamzaga played uh, 584 big league games. That's a productive career. That's a good 13th round. Not, not as good as Albert Pujols, but that's a good 13th round pick. There are a few guys from that 13th round who I don't know if they all signed, but who made it to the to made it to the big leagues. Who else was in there? Uh, Justin Leone and some of these guys may have you know, gone on to other things. Frank Brooks, um, Jason Jones. They're all college picks, so I'm thinking maybe they signed. That's kind of crazy. Five big leaguers from a 13th round. Who was selected with the pick directly before Christian Yelich, 23rd overall in 2010? I'm not. I'm not buzzing in. Not buzzing in. It's, it's hard to remember who who the pick would be. I know he was a 23rd pick. And I just did the 2010 redraft, but I can't remember which team it was ahead of them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to cheat this time. So I have like. But here are your options. Buzz, Kellen Deglin, Buzz, Colburn. Buzz. I'll go with Kellen <laughs> Deglin because I now remember doing the research for the story and realizing that the Kellen Deglin went right before Kristen Yelich. So I'll go with Kellen Deglin. <laughs> that is correct. Seven of the 22 players drafted ahead of Yelich have yet to make it to the majors. And I think at this oh, point, well. 10 years later, that's uh, Are you holding out hope for any of those guys? Yeah, I, I didn't write the blurb. Uh, including Degley. Wow. Colburn Vidic? Do you think Colburn Vidic is going to make it to the big leagues now? If so, yeah. there will be a Disney movie. Kellen Deglin played minor league baseball last year. He was in uh, double and triple A with the Yankees. So we are still holding out hope. The other options, uh, by the way, were uh, Josh Sale and Hayden Simpson. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Who was selected with the pick directly before Chris Bryant? Second overall, 2013. I'm just slow on the dinging. I know that one. Go ahead. Chris Bryant in 2013 was uh, Mark Appel, wasn't it? That is correct. Do you know if if they had not taken Mark Appel, who who I believe the Astros would have taken, college third baseman not named Chris Bryant? Uh, Yes, Colin Moran. Yes. Only because we've talked about that before. So even the things I know are because you said them. (laughs) Well, well, at least you listened to me. That makes me feel good. Yes, you should feel good. All right, who was taken with the pick directly before Evan Longoria, who was taken third overall in 2006? I'm going to buzz in. It was, uh, I think it was the Stanford pitcher, Greg Reynolds. Wow, that's right. That is right. I remember. Shaver won, and then Reynolds. You know, the last story I ever wrote for Baseball America was I was doing the AAA All-Star game for MLB Network. Um and I, I wrote a column on uh, Greg Reynolds and, and Craig Buchek at the AAA All-Star Game in 2013. Very excited. Wow. This says, uh, Reynolds, who racked up a 7.01 ERA and negative 1.7 war over parts of three seasons. Do you rack up negative war? <laughs> like rack down. <laughs> <laughs> who was selected with the pick directly before Zach Greinke, sixth overall in 2002? I know the pick after him, I think. I can't think of who what the order was back then. I feel like Prince Fielder was the pick after him. Oh, wait, it was one of the high school pitchers. Options are? Oh, Buzz, Buzz. <laughs> I, gave, I gave you a hint. Yeah, how about Clint Everts? I think Clint Everts went right ahead of Zach Greinke. Yeah, yeah. Um, off. I couldn't remember. Who was the other guy? Uh, Grueler. Chris Grueler. That is correct. But he went, he went higher. He went third to the Reds, yes. Yeah. All right. Jim, did you keep score? Uh, I think I won. I I stopped tallying after a while. (laughs) 
please. I got mercy, mercy ruled or whatever. All right. So, Jim, uh, you you had a chance to uh, – both of you have, have interviewed several of the draft prospects leading up to the draft, and uh, you had a chance to talk to Zach Veen, so we're going to wrap up with that. Why don't you uh, lead us into that? Yeah, I was really impressed with Zach Veen, uh, talking to him. I mean, Jonathan and I talk all the time about how the high school kids – even compared to five or 10 years ago, just seemed so much more comfortable and polished talking to the media. And it, and I, I was just impressed by how hard Zach Veen has worked to get to where he is. I mean, coming out of his sophomore season, he was kind of a skinny kid. I don't think he was really on radars that much. And he's worked to get, you know, stronger and quicker and wants to be great. And uh, I, I was just, you know, for whatever you can read into a guy's makeup in, in a Zoom interview, uh, I, I thought, Zach Veen was very, very impressive. I can see, I mean, I having watched him play, I know why teams like him on the diamond, but I'm sure he's made a very good impression on them and all the, all the, the virtual face-to-face meetings he's had this spring. All right. So we're going to wrap it up with this interview with Zach Veen and thanks for everybody for joining us. And we will talk to you post draft on the next pipeline podcast. So Jim Callis with MLB Pipeline here with Zach Veen, the top-rated high school prospect in the 2020 draft, and we'll find out in about a week where exactly he's going to go and to which team. Zach, uh, thanks for joining us. I, I guess the first question, and I feel like I asked this of everybody, but it's a question everybody asks everybody. How are you and your family doing? Everybody healthy and safe down there in Florida for you? Uh, first off, thank you for having me, and um. Yep, everybody's uh everybody's doing well here. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, the virus is uh not really affected uh, my family as much, and everybody's still in work and, and is healthy, so all is good here. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Now, obviously, this spring, uh, your your senior year of high school did not go uh, anywhere near as planned. Uh, from a, a baseball standpoint, you know, what have you done the last two plus months to kind of stay ready, stay in baseball shape to keep yourself going with no high school season. Yeah, I took it as um, almost kind of an extended off season. And, uh, you know, I, I went back to my trainer and um, the place I work out and, and just kind of told him like, look, I'm, I'm getting ready for the, I guess the, the next chapter of my life, you could call it. And um, I want to be a, I want to be in top physical condition when I get there. So uh, I, I started as if it was a brand new off season and, you know, I'm just getting ready to go into, you know, wherever, wherever this draft takes me. So uh, whether it's college or pro ball, um, I'll be, uh, I'll be as ready as I can be. And, and, to, and besides physical condition, are you able to hit? I mean, do you have a place where you can hit and kind of keep the bat in shape uh, during this downtime? How, how many swings are you getting in a day or a week at, at this point? Definitely. I, uh, you know, I, I work out in the morning and then right after I work out, I go hit at the, uh, at my high school. So um, it's a, it's kind of an everyday thing. Um, kind of, I work out, run, throw, hit, uh, kind of do everything I would, I guess, normally do uh, as if, you know, the season was still happening kind of right around the corner. And then from a school standpoint, I mean, you had to finish your, your high school education, I guess, remotely, right, on online. I mean, is that all done? Are you still in school or is that behind you? Have you had a, a virtual graduation or what's going to go on graduation-wise? Yeah, I uh, – me, I, I actually finished my classes uh, two weeks ago, so um, I'm, I'm all graduated there. And um, I think graduation is going to be sometime in July, I believe. Uh, I think they're kind of just kind of waiting to see where this virus takes us and kind of uh, kind of going with the flow when everything opens back up. Well, that's nice. I mean, so at least you'll still get the graduation ceremony. A lot of people didn't get that opportunity. I, mean, I know it's been kind of a rough year for a lot of high school seniors, obviously a lot of people in the country. Uh, and, you know, so aside from, from baseball and school, 
obviously probably more free time on your hands than you expected. What do you do for fun uh, when you're when you're not uh, working towards your baseball career? I like to go golf. I like to golf and I like to go to the beach. So those are uh, those are two things I do to kind of, I guess, take a little break from the uh, from the baseball side of things, uh, kind of mentally and physically. So it's a it's a nice getaway. How uh, how good a golfer are you? What's your what's your handicap? I'm all right. Uh, if I can stay under a hundred, I'd say it's a good day. So. Now that's, that sounds that sounds like me. I'm not I'm not anywhere <laughs> close to a scratch golfer or anything like that. I mean, the whole thing is you get on the golf course, you're having fun. Um, you know, and especially now. So I wanted to ask you. I mean, it seems like your career took a big leap from your sophomore year to your junior year. I was reading Mark Feinstein for MLB.com. Just this story just went up on our site. And your sophomore year. I guess you were you're somewhat relegated to your your travel team's B squad, and then by the end of your the summer following your junior year, you were kind of the consensus top high school outfield prospect in the nation. What changed over those those twelve or fifteen months that uh, that helped you make that leap? Do you think? I would say the biggest thing was a uh, was the physical side for me. Um, you know, I I always uh, I guess believed I was one of the top players in the country and. Um, you know, I, I never went in a, and kind of told anybody, I guess, because, you know, I didn't want to come off as cocky or overconfident. And um, I've heard a lot of people say that if I uh, gain some weight and I guess get a little bit stronger than, uh, and faster and, you know, throw harder, hit the ball farther, uh, kind of just improve my all-around game on the physical side more so, that I would, uh, I would make a big leap. So that was one thing I really wanted to show people was uh, that I can put that weight on and I can, I can gain that strength. So, um that's where I think I made the biggest jump. And, and another thing was, uh, I guess, just getting the right opportunities to get seen by the right people. Um, I'd say, you know, going into the Under Armour game, I was a, a not a well-known prospect, I'd say. But, uh, you know, I, I still went out there believing I was the best player on the field. And, um, you know, I, I thought I had a really good showing. And I think I, uh, you know, proved a lot of people wrong who had doubts about me. And I guess just kind of showed people why I belong. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I broadcast that game. and. I'll admit, like, the way we kind of focus our draft coverage at MLB.com, I don't usually focus on the next year's high school guys until that, that summer of showcases. And I'd just been at the PDP League where where I get I think you had maybe had an opportunity to go. It didn't go. But you weren't at the PDP. So I was like – I'd seen all the guys at PDP. I remember getting Under Armour and, and watching you take BP and talking to scouts. I'm like, this Zach Bean guy looks like he's better than all the outfielders I just saw at PDP. And then the scouts were saying kind of the same thing that, yeah, you know, it's, you know, he, he's pretty good. You're going to enjoy watching him. And, and I did now in, in terms of working out, you know, I was reading in, in Mark's story that you work out with a couple of professional guys, you know, Austin Hayes, who I guess is a Spruce Creek alum like yourself and Patrick Mazika who, who played in the area. And it was interesting to me reading that story that Mark did that, uh, that, uh, you know, Austin Hayes was talking about, the fact that like you just like to pepper them with questions like you want you just to soak up as much knowledge as you can from those guys so you could be ready so you could get better and also be ready when you make that that jump in professional baseball how much has it helped being able to work out with those guys and use them as a sounding board yeah well uh, well obviously I, I wouldn't be in this position without them and uh, you know I credit a lot of my success to them and I would say it, it just helped me the most part. And I think I'm in a, a step above a bunch of high schoolers at this level and maybe even college guys to, you know, talking about approach and routine and just time to prepare your body every single day to, to go play 120 games a year and 160 games a year. So that's a, that's a big thing I pick their brains about is, is just how to come to the field ready every day and just really how to, I guess, show up being the best version of yourself and 
even when things aren't going right, how to just fight through it and just have a out-compete everybody. No, obviously, I mean, the draft hasn't happened yet. You haven't officially signed with anyone, but from everything everybody gathers, you're going to go pretty high, which theoretically would mean you would sign. When you enter pro ball, what are you looking forward to the most? What, what aspects of pro ball are you looking forward to? Um, you know, I, I'd like to say I'm a grinder, so I, I love playing every day. Um, I love being on the field, and, you know, even when the season's not going on, I, I still love being out there, um, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm watching young kids play or just going to a, another high school's game. Um, I just love being on the baseball field and being around baseball players, so uh, I, I think I'll love being out there every day and just being able to talk baseball every single day of my life and, and you know, having that as a job, I, I don't see what could be better than that. So I, I like to ask players to kind of kind of scout themselves. If you were you were breaking yourself down as a player, you know, with the five tools, how would how would you describe yourself? I would say I'm the uh, the most well-rounded player in this class. Um, if I was you know being 100% honest, and I think that I do a bunch of the little things well too. Um, you know, when I for me when I describe a a well-rounded player, I'd say. He does a lot of the small things right too. And um, I think with my hitting, I, I can hit for power and, you know, hit for average, but I think it goes a little bit more, more in depth for me. Um, Cause I take a lot of pride in, you know, barrel control, you know, fighting off with two strikes and, and pitch selection is a big thing for me too. And, you know, I, I get a bunch of uh, compliments on those little things and I just don't think a lot of people, I guess, uh, factor in, you know, those little things. Uh, everybody just wants to see you hit the ball far and, you know, I guess how hard you can hit the ball, but, uh, I take pride in more of a, all the little things I can do on the field. Well, well, I know from talking to scouts, as you've gotten stronger, you've also gotten faster, you know, and, and there's now some thought that, hey, you might be able to play center field at the professional level and maybe even at the big league level. I mean, how much pride do you take in the, in the speed and the defense and the, and the throwing, those types of things? I mean, you obviously are, as you said, most known for your bat, but how much pride do you take in those other things too? I mean, just, just sticking in center field, is, is that a goal of yours? Definitely. I, uh, I, I love being counted out and I kind of love uh, being told I can't do something. And um, that was a, uh, that was something I was told beginning of the season was a lot of people didn't think I could stick in center field. And, um, you know, I'd, whether or not they, they choose to move me there at the next level and do a corner, um, you know, I want to hopefully get an opportunity to stick in center field and just show people why I can play out there and, and that I deserve to be the, the captain on the field. So. Long-term, do you see yourself as more, hit over power or power over hit? Like, I think the grades we have on you on our site have you a little bit higher as a hitter, but you're also 6'4", 190, still projectable. What do you think when all is said and done, you think you'll be better at one or the other? And if so, which, which way? See, I think, uh, I think that stuff a little bit differently. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really a guy who – I never really tried at home runs, and I never really tried to lift the ball. Um, since I was young, uh, my high school coach, Coach Goodrich, uh, taught me that – you know, you can't hit the ball out unless you hit the barrel. And um, gaining the strength and uh, getting a little bit more physical, I've realized uh, all I have to do is touch it and it'll go out. So the biggest thing for me is just trying to hit the ball hard. Um, so I guess necessarily trying to be more of a hitter and just trying to, I guess, pepper balls all over the field. And, you know, when the bigger I get and the, the older I get, I think the, the more the ball fly. So, Who do you think is the, is the best pitcher you've faced? You, know, you probably saw a lot of better arms in the showcase circuit one one point or another. Who do you, who do you think is the best pitcher you've ever run up against? I'd say Dax Fulton. He uh he carved me up at the uh, perfect game, All American game, with a uh, I think he threw me three curveballs in a row and uh buckled me on two of them, <laughs> and I just didn't swing at the third one. So well, and, that, that's uh, fair. And we just man. we just taped a, a preview show for for the draft for MLB Network a couple hours ago, 
And I was talking about the fact, even though he had Tommy John surgery shortly after you saw him, he's still the best high school lefty. And it, that, that curveball is pretty tough. You know, plus he's 6'6", so it seems like he's dropping it from the sky <laughs> that down through the zone. So that's, that's a good answer. I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the mound. You, you've been compared, I don't know if you, I mean, you probably have seen it and, and heard it, but you've been compared to guys like Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, you know, Kyle Tucker is a recent Florida high school outfielder, guys like that. What is the favorite – what's your favorite comp that somebody's – somebody player that somebody's compared you to? I would say uh, Bellinger. That's a, that's a guy that I kind of like to model my game after. And I think my swing is uh, very similar to him and Yelich in different uh, parts of the swing. And, you know, I, I love Bellinger on defense too. I think uh, that's more why he's my favorite player is because he can, he can play both sides of the ball really well. Uh, you know, he wins gold gloves and, and wins MVPs and silver sluggers. So, I uh, – I don't want to just be a, a one-dimensional player. I want to be a, a well-rounded player. So, In terms, you know, in a normal year, and this has obviously not been a normal year, I mean, you'd have high school going on. You'd have baseball going on. You'd be, you'd be distracted from draft chatter. But with, with less going on around you, or you find yourself following the draft or the draft talk, what people are writing and saying, mock drafts, more than you thought you would have coming into the year had this been a normal spring? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely hard to not look at that stuff, but um, I think it's more of uh, my family and friends kind of send it to me, uh, just being excited for me. But, um, you know, I think all that stuff's great, but at the end of the day, I know I can't really control it. And um, I guess the only thing I can control is, is just going and working hard every day and just trying to be the best version of myself I can. What are your plans for, for draft night? Well, who are you going to spend it with? Uh... Are you – well, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to predict where you're going to go. I think I'll, I'll say it for you. You're, gonna, you're probably going to go in the top five or seven picks from everything we're hearing, and I'd be shocked if you got outside the top ten. But are you – you know, what do you plan – how do you plan on uh, on spending that night when you when you get that news? I definitely want to spend it with uh, my family and friends and kind of a – you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in um, kind of sticking with the people who have been with me since the beginning. And, um, you know, everybody around me that night's going to – going to definitely be people who have been there since the beginning. And, you know, it was a, it was a small group of people that, uh, that believed in me my freshman year when I told them I wanted to be in this position. And these are all the people that, uh, that believed in me. So it's only right if they're there to, you know, be at the end of the road for this dream. So. And you're not quite there, there yet, but I mean, how does it feel, I mean, to have those dreams and, and they're about to come true. I mean, you're going to be a top 10 pick in the draft, which I don't think people necessarily would have thought when you were a high school freshman. Um, you know, you might even be a top five pick, it looks like. I mean, how does it feel that, you know, to see that all that hard work you've put in looks like it's, it's going to pay off? It's definitely, uh, definitely awesome to see. Um, I think uh, the, the crazy part is I haven't really uh, – I've always made these little goals for myself, um, kind of going throughout high school, whether that was uh, committing to college or, you know, being a, a top ten player in the country, working my way up to the number one player in the country. And I think it's, uh, it's crazy because – all these uh, these dreams and goals happening, I, I don't really notice them happening because um, now um, I think I put myself in a position where I can, uh, I can say my next goal is to, to make it to the big leagues and I want to be one of the best players ever and, um, you know, be the next Bellinger. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at right now. I, um, that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, well, it's going to be fun to watch you on that, on that path, Zach. It's been kind of fun to watch your, your transformation. Like I said, having come from the PDP – uh, yeah, I didn't know much about you till the Under Armour game. And I was like, wow, like this guy looks better than all the outfielders I just saw. And the scouts were like, yeah, you might be right on that. And, and here we are. So I, I appreciate you joining us, Zach. Good luck. Uh, I guess we'll find out in a week uh, which team you'll, uh, you'll be headed to. I have to say as a, 
as a Georgia grad, I'm not going to be too sad if you don't make it to play for the Gators. Uh, we, my Bulldogs, won't have to face you over the next three years probably. But uh, good luck going forward, and I can't wait till we can uh, get to see you on the diamond again soon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Thanks, Zach.